welcome to the Darling Girls podcast, hosted by Jenny Lundstrom and Grace Vidorchak, two mid 20 single gals with a long distance friendship and passion for personal growth. Listen along as we chat about life, wellness, and everything in between, because we're all just on a journey to be our best selves. Stay darling. My dad told me one time, by the way, look at this incredible lineup. Florida State and something, what what is that? Georgia something? No. I like Florida State. I don't know what the other J is. Where am I moving? Oh God, it's it's Wisconsin. It's the Packers. Yeah, good. <laughs> Wait, I forgot my water. I'll be right back. Okay, introduce our topics for today. Okay, so hello everybody. I need a poster. I'm hello coming. everybody. Hello. We, we are back again with an incredible topic that back. I'm very excited about. You guys have heard us talk about this. I, I actually think last episode we talked about it <laughs> for like the third time. Um, but today we're going to go in depth with it and it's going to be real fun. So um, Brene Brown, if you're ever listening, we love you. And please come on and join us one day. Please. We would love that. We would love that. She has like 10 podcasts on her own. She like definitely doesn't have time. You're going to but... have to summarize the book because I, by the way, Ginny set me up for failure last night because I thought I only had to read a couple pages of a book for this. And then all of a sudden I realized while I sat down very calmly in bed that I had to read six chapters. No. Did you <laughs> and read I was six like, chapters? I was like, oh, yes, you told me to. No. Ginny. I okay. meant like, look at the chapters from an overview, pick a word. Oh, yeah, no, I read. Well, that's good. You read half the book then. It was a challenge. I felt like I was in school. I was like, this is happening. This is happening. Finger to the page. You're like, reading. Wait, that's actually really impressive. I know. I couldn't even talk to you in the middle of it. I couldn't even tell you that I was freaking out because I didn't have time to. Oh, I'm sorry, dude. No, I mean, I'm I'm kind of glad that you had to read the whole thing, but um no sorry I didn't mean that but I mean, like, still I've only read half and you've read yeah. the whole thing so you're and I didn't read the introduction because that's very long so I feel like you have yeah. to do this I mean I didn't read about. it all at once I've just kind of read in spurts but um but now I've pretty much read the whole thing but um if we haven't said this before this is gonna be a two-parter um and we're gonna just like kind of take so basically sorry what we're talking about is Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown um which she describes or I guess it says Atlas of the Heart mapping meaningful connection in the language of human experience so we've talked about it a little bit before um Brene Brown is a researcher with like over 20 years of experience of researching vulnerability and I think I don't remember the other one but I know vulnerability is one of them but um she's just really really cool I highly recommend getting this book because not only is it really insightful it's beautiful it's like one of the most gorgeous books I've ever owned and that's saying a lot because like aesthetically it's really pretty to look at yeah um yes yeah it's what if I was like it's beautiful I mean it is beautiful I thought that's what you meant for a second I was like I mean I guess It, it is beautiful I guess in a more deep meaning as well but um yeah we I think you just need everyone needs a little help understanding their emotions and this is a great place to start so 
Um, and what I like about it is she doesn't harp on one too much. You know, she like says what she needs to say and then she's done with it. It's great. And it says the chapters are called, are you going to read each chapter? Cause you, yeah. So I was, I I, I was thinking we take it like also a goal for my, for me today is to not say like, or, um, so go for it. Here we go. Okay. Every time you say it, I'll like make a weird face. Yeah. Just call me out. Um, each chapter is cute. They're called like places where places we go when things are, and they're, that's like the theme of them. And it's other common words or whatever. How would you say you go? You're better at this than me. Um, so basically I, there's, she also does really cool podcasts kind of explaining how she did this, but she did a big research study. Um, not sure how many people she did it's in the book but she took data from a bunch of people and basically figured out that most people the common emotions that they could write out or like when asked what emotions they felt on a day-to-day basis there's only three common ones and there's actually shoot I should as in people were only describing their emotions with three adjectives versus using the whole vocabulary of what you should be using that's actually accurate so there's um I keep saying which means that we're misnaming our emotions half the time yeah and so basically how she had it grouped before was alphabetically when she first wrote the book she studied all the emotions I think there's like gosh can you look that up in the book is it in there um, how many emotions yeah there's there's a certain amount of emotions I don't know the exact number and I should but I don't but it's there's a certain amount and I she's got you. grouping them by alphabetically <laughs> I can't talk alphabetically and then she presented her work and her book to um her team and a couple interns which I think this is the coolest story ever a couple interns told her like hey this the way that this is laid out doesn't make sense it would make more sense if they were grouped by emotions that were similar. So that's why she grouped them the way that she did. So the first chapter, I guess, that we're going to talk about is places we go when things are uncertain or too much. So the emotions that are in this grouping are stress, overwhelm, anxiety, worry, avoidance, excitement, dread, fear, and vulnerability. And what we're going to do is not talk about all of these. We're just going to each, we each picked one when we were going through and reading and that either surprised us or that we relate to and feel a lot, or just kind of just, we kind of just wanted to, and we don't know which word we picked. So this is going to be kind of fun, like a game. We're surprising each other. You um, go first. Do you want to go first? Actually, yeah, I will go first. Okay. Because I don't want everyone to think I stole yours because they, <laughs> ne- they now know that I stress read it last night. So I did pick the first one, which was stressed and overwhelmed because I use them interchangeably and she clearly describes how they're both two different words that use two different scenarios. And I also loved her example because it did remind me of when I used to work at the bar and it's, and she said like, when you're stressed is when you say, I need like pretty much you need help. So she said like, you're, she said they used to say to each other at the restaurant, I'm in the weeds. And then everyone else would go like, what do you need? What tables need help? What, you know, who can I help? And then like, on the other hand, she would say, what is it? I'm blown. 
Mm-hmm. And that's the equivalent to overwhelm, which means that you're, you're like, you're tapping out. Like when you're overwhelmed, like you need to leave the situation, like it, working in a restaurant, she described it as like, you need to give your work to somebody else, go outside and take a breather because that's how, that's how much the stress has escalated to. And I just loved that because I was like, I just feel like I always say, well, I'm overwhelmed and I'm stressed as the same thing, but like, realistically, you're, you're stressed to a point that you can't handle it. And then you become overwhelmed. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Like we, we use, I'm overwhelmed so much. And so often when in reality, overwhelmed is like you physically, mentally, emotionally cannot handle it. You need to tap out for a little from the situation completely and give yourself some time and regroup and then come back. And so now when I say that, I'm going to mean it. Like I'm, I'm either going to tell Jenny I'm stressed or I'm overwhelmed. And like, there's a difference. I love that. I love like, it's like, it can like more accurately describe things. Yeah. And one is I'm stressed, but I can handle it. And one is I'm overwhelmed and I can't handle it. Um, yeah. it it's yeah, that's a great one. I love that one. I, did you, I remember, which one did you pick? I'm so interested. I picked vulnerability because this is her, this is her golden child baby. She, she is just, she has so many cool, um, just talks she does a TED talk on vulnerability it's like one of the most listened to TED talks in the world and I think it's really what blew her up was her vulnerability TED talk and it's really cool if you haven't seen it you should go watch that um but she describes or she uh defines vulnerability as the emotion that we experience during times of uncertainty risk and emotional exposure and then a couple examples of this are the first date after a breakup, trying to get pregnant after my second miscarriage, talking about my feelings, starting my own business, which I thought was interesting, like for us, not that we started our own business, but you know, podcast, um, <laughs> apologizing to a colleague about how I spoke to him in a meeting, waiting for the doctor to call back, giving and getting feedback, which has been a huge one for me. And I, Oh, I know what happened. There we go. Okay. So I was looking at my notes and I was like, that is not the right page. Um, So there was also another thing she wrote in here, which is in a world where perfectionism, pleasing and proving are used as armor to protect our egos and our feelings. It takes a lot of courage to show up and be all in when we can't control the outcome. And this, this one I chose because I think that this year has been a vulnerable year for me just in general. I think it's been a vulnerable year for you and truly it it's just such a good thing to think about when you're going into situations of like of and a big one for me is like when I'm when I have an opinion or I'm doing something like this podcast for example I think I felt the need my whole life to like prove a point or prove why I was doing something or explain myself or like I wanted to control how people reacted or thought about me and and I didn't like the uncomfortableness of being vulnerable and I don't know I just think that like you're just never gonna regret being vulnerable you're never gonna regret telling someone how you feel you're never gonna regret asking for help or 
just kind of being honest with people and yourself. I think that that's just such a, and, and she, she really like, she truly harps on the fact like vulnerability is the greatest measure of courage. It is the bravest thing you can be. And I think we all grow up thinking that being vulnerable is a weakness. So I really liked that one. I thought that one was, you know, I love that one. Just a good little. I was torn between the two of those two. Yeah. She described that one so well. And like, I even feel like a lot of people now, I mean, people are so like, so black and white, like either people are way too vulnerable or like, don't be vulnerable or that's embarrassing. But like the big quote on this page says vulnerability is not weakness. It's our greatest measure of courage. And I want to hang this on my freaking wall. I know that's awesome. Like such an amazing quote. I love that. Yeah. And she really too, like her Ted talk is so good. I encourage everyone to listen to that because I think once you realize to that, you can just embrace your vulnerability and embrace like her big quote is stay awkward, brave, and kind. Oh, I love that. Does that all the time. And awkward, brave, and kind. That's us on here talking about ourselves. Exactly. It's so cute. So (laughs) Yeah, just that's a great one. But okay, so number two is places we go when we compare. So I guess I'll go first. Just went in. Will you read all the emotions though? Oh, so all of the emotions under this chapter are comparison, admiration, reverence, envy, jealousy, resentment. Oh God, how do you say the last two? Oh, I can say um. Wait, hang on. They're like shot and fraud. Wait, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. She has like the shot and fraud and fruit and fraud. <laughs> fruit and fraud. You said that right. Really? Yeah. Shot and shot and Freuda. Shot and Freuda and Freud and Freuda. It's because I'm Ukrainian. It's probably Ukrainian. <laughs> yeah. So I just want to say too that she makes a note in here that comparison actually is not an emotion but it drives all sorts of big feelings that can affect our relationships and our self-worth. So it's not like you can't feel comparison, but comparison brings with it a lot of feelings. It was, she like, intro, she did the little intro to yeah. this chapter with the word comparison and it just blended perfectly with the rest of it. Like it yeah. really is a good way to introduce the rest. So what, what did you pick for this one? So I actually chose fruit and fruit and fruit. <laughs> oh my God. So did I. No. Wait, how do you say it? Fraud and fruit, fruit and fruit. I think it's fruit. Okay. So shot. So it's schaden, schadenfreude and then Freuden. It looks like F-R-E-U-D-E-N-F-R-E-U-D-E. So however you want to say that, let's call it fruit and fruit. and fruit. Fruit and fruit. Okay. Whatever. Anyways, I chose it because um, it pretty much means the enjoyment of another's success. And I feel like we talk about that in friendships all the time and why that's so important and why we like to acknowledge it. And to even go further into that emotion, they came up with two new words. Did you see that part? Do you remember that part? Oh, yeah. And so one of the words was... Um, or actually they both are shoy, shoy and braggitude. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so cute that when you're, I have to look up the page where it says it, but it was like, shoy is intentionally sharing the joy of someone relating 
a success story by showing interest and asking follow-up questions. So like actively listening and caring and gratitude is intentionally tying words of gratitude toward the listener following discussion of personal successes. So So these are literally, so the word fruit and fruit is the enjoyment of another's success. So it's like a subset of empathy is what she says. But then these two words, shoy and braggitude are just two things that like you. Well, I like, she says here, like, this is an example of like what you'd say, um, which is just a great, just a great practice in general when you have a friend or, well, fruit and fruit. (laughs) is a great practice in general. And you have to be so selfless to truly feel this emotion. It's like having these emotions are so great because so many people don't have this. They have the the resentment and the jealousy and the other, you know, ones that we had in, in this. Where you're comparing, uh, you want to be better than other people, but Um, you should and we always say you should feel your friend's success as if it's your own. Yeah. And it's like, so for the bragitude one, it's like, thank you for celebrating this with me. It means so much that you're happy for me. I love that. Yeah. I, I have gratitude actually, for your bragging and for your friend being nice about it. Yeah. Oh, like, I love so that. Cool. I have an example, um, which it's funny because it actually just happened to me. I had not read this part yet um, a couple weeks ago and I had just had a therapy session with my therapist. I don't know why I needed to say that, but I did. I thought you were with me. I wasn't sure. I had a therapy session with Grace. No, I was telling my therapist about a situation where, um, I guess it wasn't exactly so. And also on the same thing, we should note that Schoiden, Schadenfreude is kind of the pleasure or joy from someone's like suffering so it's almost the exact opposite so my therapist texted me like a couple days after I had had a session with her and she goes hey I was reading Atlas of the Heart and I got to Freud and Freud (laughs) we are butchering (laughs) it um and I Farquaad literally we got to I got to Lord Farquaad and I and you you know your situation that you were talking to me about earlier you were expecting fruit and fruit and you got something else. So when you tell someone happy news and then you just get absolutely crushed by their reaction, it's the worst feeling ever. And it's not necessarily that they're being the opposite where they like are joyous because I didn't, Oh, I guess it, yeah, it, it doesn't make sense because it's, cause I thought, well, I'm just the, the other one. I got the other one, but it's not that that person was like joyous in my downfall or my suffering. It was that I was expecting them to be happy for me and they weren't, but it was really interesting because I hadn't gotten to that part yet. And I was like, wow, that is actually something that people probably feel all the time. Yeah. Cause you get disappointment in their reaction if they're not, yeah. which you also know, you want somebody to match your energy. Like, and we've talked about that on here before, but we just didn't know there was a word for it. Like, yeah. When I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm moving. I'm so excited. And Jenny was like, oh, wow. Like, can you afford it? Like, nobody needs that. Get out exactly. with your shrod and trod. Get out of here with your shrod and shrod and fraud. <laughs> We're going to change the word every time we say it. All I know <laughs> yeah. is that the S, the S one is the shitty friend. And the F one is the good friend. The funny friend. The, the freaking f- freaking fantastic friend. Fantastic friend. That's a good one. So shitty friend, fantastic friend. We'll make yeah. it so we'll all remember. And then they need to come up with a new word that's not fruited fruit. (laughs) I know. 
It's like German or something. Okay. So Next one. amazing. Number three, you read this one. Places we go when things don't go as planned. So the emotions for this one is boredom, disappointment, expectations, regret, discouragement, resignation, and frustration. Do you want me to go first? Yep. Or do you want to go first? You go first this time. Okay. I wanted to kind of group two together because I think that they are, I think they just kind of go hand in hand, but the ones that I decided to go with are disappointment and I guess expectations because a lot of, we picked the same one again. Okay. Well, we can also talk. I also want to talk about boredom because I also love that one. So um, we'll talk about this for a second, but so disappointment is um, something that I think I did not realize that that was what I was feeling until this year. I did not realize that that was an emotion that I was feeling because there are times where I'll be like, oh, that was disappointing or oh, that was like with a movie or a TV show or something. But I've never, ever walked around talking like that for my own self being like, the reason that I feel this way is because I'm disappointed. I've always just been like, oh, I'm so annoyed or oh, I'm just like, I'm upset. I'm angry. When usually that's not what it is. It's, it's usually, I mean, sometimes, sometimes I'm angry and sometimes I'm upset, but no, it's like disappointment is, is hard. And, um, and I think something that I've learned this year a lot is that oftentimes disappointment comes from unmet expectations. And so the cool thing about like this book is it really lays out two types of expectations. There's the stealth expectations, which are unexamined or unexpected unexpressed expectations, which basically mean you had these expectations, but you did not communicate them. Mm -hmm. And so there was no way for that person to know that you had them, you know, so you're stealthy. Yeah. So you're setting yourself up for failure. And so when you feel disappointed, you have to kind of check yourself and be like, okay, did I communicate? Like a lot of times women, and I shouldn't just say this a lot of times people in relationships I think. No, I just listened to a literal podcast about how it's usually women that do that. So it's not really stereotyping. Okay, good. Yeah. So I feel like in relationships and speaking from experience, there were times where I would get upset about something. Uh, We'll just use the example of like Valentine's Day or something. And a lot of women, I think will say, oh, I don't need anything or, oh, I don't, we don't have to have plans. And so you're saying that, So then your boyfriend or husband or girlfriend is thinking, okay, like they don't, they don't want anything. They don't want to do anything. And then you're disappointed and you're upset and you get in a fight. Um, Or there's the expectations that you have that you didn't even realize you had. Like I wanted this person to um, buy me a birthday present and you didn't say anything necessarily, but you also were just expecting it but they didn't know. And that's a bad example because that's just like also like kind of a form of love language. Cause if you like gifts or whatever, and it's, a, no, it's still a good example though. Okay. You so know, if you're not, but, if you're not communicating but yeah, if, what you want and then you get let down by an uncommunicated expectation yes. and that is called self. And that, that happens all the time. It happens in not just like romantic relationships. It happens 
with friendships and in work relationships and just people in life. So it's, yeah. And then the other, what's the other version? The other one is examined and expressed expectations. So this is, that's, that's where the, the disappointment is more, um, I think valid, valid because you, you've clearly expressed your expectations. And, Mm -hmm. and so that was actually a good example of that was, uh, my sister was moving out and my little cousin was moving in. And my therapist said to me before she moves in, have a chat and just lay out on the line, like what you expect out of a roommate and then have her tell you what she expects out of a roommate. And I texted my little cousin and I was like, I would love to have a chat with you, just us. And just so we can just go over our expectations for each other as roommates. And we did that. And we have been killing it as roommates. I love and that. It's interesting. Cause like, I don't think people do that enough. Um, it's always, almost always after the fact that you're like, oh, well, did you tell them? And it's like, well, no, I didn't. They should have mm-hmm. just known, but no, they shouldn't have just known. Oh, so, I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and the, cle- I don't think we actually read the clear and clean really definition of disappointment is um, disappointment is unmet expectations. The more significant the expectation, the more sig- significant the disappointment, which is amazing. Makes sense. We know that, but like reading about it just is really still very eye opening and definitely breaking down the two different types. I thought was amazing. Yeah. God, this is such a good book. I know. Isn't it cool? Okay. So before we move on to the next chapter, I just wanted to touch on boredom a little bit because this one was super interesting to me. Um, boredom she describes as in the uncomfortable state of wanting to engage in satisfying activity, but being unable to do it. What's wild to me is I haven't felt boredom. I don't think in a while. And whenever I have felt boredom, I recently, at least, um, am able to fill it pretty quickly, but it's interesting because I think we all feel boredom. We've all felt boredom so much more as a child, like as kids, But what I love about this and how she talks about it is that it's not, we, we all kind of think of boredom as a negative feeling, but she says a recent study showed that simple, boring tasks or Monday mundane activities can allow our minds to wander daydream and create. So the lack of stimulation that defines being bored gives our imagination room to play and grow. And that really struck like a nerve in me because I was almost like you, we don't let ourselves be bored enough anymore. We are constantly filling my days with TikToks or Snapchats or social media or like a show or a book or a TV show. And it's like, I don't remember the last time I was bored. Cause we constantly need stimulation because it's so, we're so used to it. Yeah. That's why I feel like meditation and things like that, like literal practices of kind of, I mean, that's kind of practicing being bored without simulation, just like sitting with your thoughts. And that's where like creativity and, and, in like, I don't know, I play like she, I just think that's such a cool thing. Cause yeah, um, yeah, it's just, it's cool. I think you, when you think back to being a kid and you were bored, you, that's when like you made movies with your your sisters or you made plays or you made dances forts me and bonnie for so many dances and movies and forts and we would make movie we would make dinner menus and movie menus and have like movie nights and like and it was just yeah and 
that's just such an important thing. And it's, I, I hope that kids are still feeling bored enough to do all that. I think so. I hope but. so. My kid will. All right. Wait, one really cute quote before I move on to, because I just got to that mm-hmm. page at the end, um, back to the disappointment, but it was like, when someone shares their hopes and dreams with us, we are witnessing deep courage and vulnerability. Celebrating their success is easy, but when disappointment happens, it's an incredible opportunity for meaningful connection. And I thought that was so cute because that's so true. Like it's one thing to have a friend there that you, you know, you, you got a job and then they're happy for you, but like, okay, well, I already opened up to you about how excited I was about applying for a job. And then I had to tell you that I didn't get the job. And that's terrifying to have to admit to somebody like that one scenario, like that's happened to everybody. And Like, that's just such a good opportunity. Like in your mind, you should know like, okay, this is my opportunity to be there for somebody literally at their most vulnerable state and to help them through their disappointment. Oh, I know. It's awesome. She just, she, she has a way with words. She really does. All right. Next chapter. You can read it. I'm flipping. I'm flipping. I feel like I need a burp. I'm drinking a beer right now, you guys. I worked out and then I was like, let me have a Miller Light. Wait, I think I skipped the first. I think I'm missing something. Someone tore a page. Okay, number four. (laughs) Someone stole it. My cat did. I don't even have a cat. Number four, places we go when it's beyond us. Awe, wonder, confusion, curiosity, interest, and surprise. I chose... Awe versus wonder, which are separate in the beginning, but then she actually talks about them together and compares the two because this is the one that Jenny told me interested her and it had the, this really cool picture, to be honest with you, and I liked it. And I had a good personal experience because, oh, I wish I could like show the picture. So Awe has, oh my God, does she have a written definition of this? Because I think she does. Hang on. Oh, okay. So Wonder inspires the wish to understand. Awe inspires the wish to let shine, to acknowledge, and to unite. When we've, when feeling awe, we tend to simply stand back and observe to provide a stage for the phenomenon to shine. And then wonder fuels our passion for exploration and learning, for curiosity and adventure. So when you're in awe, you just want to stare at the pictures of this guy looking at the stars. And he's just like in awe looking at the stars. He's not doing anything. He's just in awe. The wonder part is the girl. She's like, well, how would you say in wonder? She's well, wonder- no, it's like when you're wondering about something, you're she's curious wonder. about it. You're you're she's like flying with the butterflies. <laughs> get this at all oh, she's holding a she's holding a butterfly the pictures of her holding the butterfly and then she's like she feels like she's flying with the butterflies so it's still I don't know creates yeah, no. serious motion and then the third picture is of her reading about butterflies so she's inspired and then she's learning and I feel like I related to I feel like everyone can relate to wonder but awe was when I was in Costa Rica and I was in the middle of the ocean yeah on a jet ski staring at literally the most beautiful view I've ever personally seen in real life and I thought like oh my gosh you cannot beat this yeah yeah so that was also the ones I chose but um 
I also well, just we found are not a, really good at this game. I also just it. found I also just found this other quote where it's like wonder inspires the wish to understand. So when you're wondering about something, you want to understand it. And awe inspires the wish to let shine, to acknowledge, and to unite. So awe, yeah, like you, it, it's exactly that. So for me, so when, when she's I in thinking, a state of wonder, I don't know why the picture saying awe and wonder. I was like, how do you say she's she's in like a state of wonder? Yeah, or in a yeah. State so of awe. I didn't know wonder was an emotion. Did you? No, that's why I'm having issues explaining it right now. Yeah. So I I'm would like, say I get it, but I'm ha- I've never really explained myself being wondering. I don't know, whatever. So uh, a good example I thought of when I was reading this for awe was, yeah, traveling. But also for me, one of the biggest experiences that I can remember just being in awe is being at concerts, but specifically Taylor Swift concerts. <laughs> I just remember like my first Taylor Swift concert was my first concert ever. And me and my sister stood there like this. <laughs> Jaws on the floor. Jaws on the I floor. Couldn't it. move. Didn't dance. Didn't, sing, didn't, didn't do anything. I couldn't believe what was happening. I was just like, wow, this is so cool. And I had no, I had no, I wasn't wonder. It was awe. I was just like, damn, she's so cool. And, it's um, a really cool feeling. It really is. I know. I think I love that. I love those emotions. We don't think about that enough. We don't. There's so many good, positive emotions out there that we experience all the time. We just need to put ourselves in situations where we're feeling them more. I want to feel more wonder. Yeah. Actually, I want to feel more awe. I don't want to read. I just want to be uh, impressed. These all go together really well, though, too, because like confusion, it's like, okay, if you're wondering about something, you're probably confused about it. Yeah. If you're wondering about something, you're probably curious about it. You're probably interested about it. So, you know, they all, they all kind of go together. I like that section a lot. It's like, oh, and then there's surprise. This is the thing that cracked me up is she goes, spoiler alert. I'm pretty sure. Wait. So basically she like talks about, um, research that, define surprise as an interruption caused by information that doesn't fit with our current understanding or expectations and it causes us to reevaluate and she goes spoiler alert I'm pretty sure this research research explains why I do not like surprises I'm <laughs> not a fan of having to manage unamplified emotion while I'm in the spotlight which was interesting because a lot of people don't like surprises I don't like surprises yeah okay cool number five your turn my turn okay Places we go when things aren't what they seem. So these ones are amusement, bittersweetness, nostalgia, cognitive dissonance, paradox, irony, and sarcasm. Which one did you pick for this? If you pick the same one as me, I'm done with you. I picked bittersweet. No, I lied. I picked picked bittersweet and I changed it to paradox. Okay. Okay, good. We didn't pick the same. Okay, good. Okay. Would you you want me to go go first? first? Yeah. Okay, I picked nostalgia. And I knew you would. I knew it. You're such a nostalgic little empathy butterfly. I am a freaking nostalgic queen. You I are. I can't throw anything away because I'm so nostalgic. I have every single card that I've ever been given in store. I used to be the same way, and then I'll, something switched in me, and I just. <laughs> I don't, I seriously don't know what happened to me. Like you I feel like I switch like the vampire diaries. Yeah. Like I didn't want to have, I feel like when in situations where even in bittersweet situations, when she was talking about that, like I shut down and I don't 
feel the emotions like like high school graduation didn't want to be part of it college graduation didn't want to be part of it like anything that feels like it should be bittersweet I'm like okay next chapter I don't want to feel yeah. this so the thing with, it, so the thing that's crazy about nostalgia which I had not read this yet so this was like really wild to me nostalgia was considered a medical disease and a psychiatric disorder until the early 19th century oh I thought that was wild I was very confused though like what so um, I didn't get it and I was too tired and I just skimmy on to the next one so so today research just researchers describe nostalgia as frequent primarily positive context specific bittersweet emotion that combines elements of happiness and sadness sadness with a sense of yearning and loss and um so I don't know. This is crazy. She kind of still described nostalgia as a a negative term a little bit, though, because she was like, people usually are nostalgic about how the way things used to be in a negative way. Yeah. Like that. I thought that was wild, too, because I've always thought of it as honestly, I've never thought about it like negative or positively. I've always just been like, oh, that makes me nostalgic. And normally nostalgia does typically make me sad a little, but also brings back good memories. So it is a weird one. But but what's crazy is that so she goes across our research nostalgia emerged as a double-edged sword a t- tool for both connection and disconnection so it can like provide this like kind of way for like and she said like it is it can be an imaginary refuge from a world we don't understand so like changing times and it's used to resist important growth in families organizations and the bo- broader culture and to protect power, including white supremacy. So like some examples of that is like when people are like, when some of our grandparents are like, I wish things were the way they used to be in the good old days. What's not actually spoken is like when people knew their place or, or like, I wish you used, I wish you were the same. Like you, you changed so much. Like I miss the old you or stuff like that. It can be like used in a negative. And then nostalgic, it'd be like, because like used to be able to control you like it just she always put like a negative connotation on what it used to be like yeah and so I think it's like one of those things that we just have to be careful with and 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 for me at least it it can be a negative thing when I'm like oh I wish I looked like I used to look or oh I was so much skinnier back then or oh wow like it can be negative but Mm -hmm. I think just keeping a mindfulness on that and um yeah she she really does describe it as like kind of just like take it or leave it good or bad it's it's there but it's not like not good not really either so I thought that was interesting I've always thought nostalgia I actually just I don't think I ever thought of it as good or bad and it isn't good or bad I guess we don't have an answer but I thought that was really interesting yeah she needs to we need to ask her some questions about that chapter um but I thought paradox was interesting because I don't know like I knew what a paradox was but this was so eye-opening for some reason. I don't know. I'm just going to read this because I clearly don't have the words for it. Um, So it says, well, the quote at the beginning actually is pretty good too. It just says, the paradox is one of our most valuable spiritual possession possessions. Oh my gosh. Only the paradox comes anywhere near to comprehending the fullness of life. Um, So it's clearly the appearance of it says a paradox is the appearance of contradiction between two related components, which is the boring definition. And then an example that I love is, which goes back to her vulnerability section, but it says vulnerability is the first thing we look for in other people. And the last thing we want to show 
to them about ourselves. This is a crazy one. And you just sit there and you're like, oh my God, that is so true. Like when you're looking for a friend, you're kind of waiting for somebody to be a little vulnerable, but like you don't want to be the first person to do it. And both of those things are true. They're both true individually, but they don't make any sense together. So it's yeah. kind of just, it's crazy. Like how can both of the statements be true? And it just kind of, like, she says it reveals truths about us. So that oh, we're, and the yeah. truths are we're drawn to authentic, imperfect people, but we're scared to let people see who we really are. And then the other truth, I want to experience your vulnerability, but I don't want to be vulnerable. And then I'm drawn to your vulnerability, but repelled by mine. Yeah. And vulnerability is courage in you, but inadequacy in me. You're looking for the vulnerability. You're wanting someone to be vulnerable first and you don't want it to be you because I love that example so much. And it says paradox, which I think is a good to point out, but she says paradox is not an emotion much like cognitive dissonance. It starts with thinking, but brings in emotion as we start to feel the tension and pull of different ideas. Mm. So in the case of paradox, our brain wants to solve the puzzle. Crazy, but they cannot be solved by rationality and logic. You just really can't can't solve that situation. At the end, she goes, paradox is hard and good. I love it. Yes, that's what I wrote on my sheet too. Like the end of that is like what I learned. They're hard. They don't make sense, but they make you think. And they're that's why they're good because they make you just like think into situations that exist. And something that I do all the time is I will see somebody doing something and I'll be like, that's really cute that they did that. And then on that like retrospect of like, or the other side of that, I'll be like, ew, I'm so like, I'll just judge myself or judge some, someone else for like the same thing. And I'm like, what? Like, why? So it definitely makes you think like, well, why did I think that in that moment? And the complete opposite when it comes to me life doesn't make sense life is a paradox our thoughts are really hard on like we're really hard on ourselves and we're really hard on the world and life is that's why this book is so cool because i'm gonna keep using i'm gonna start walking around with little tiny glasses on just being like that's a paradox (laughs) that's a paradox it's paradox oh this old thing it's a paradox paradox um yeah that's a good one i this book is changing me i um yeah that's that's a definitely a uh a difficult one. Okay. Last, Last one. one for this, uh, for this little part one that we're doing, um, is places we go when we're hurting and it's anguish, hopelessness, despair, sadness, and grief. And there's a picture of a very sad umbrella with water <laughs> because that's how you feel when you are places you go when you're hurting. What'd you pick? And I picked sadness itself because she kind of broke it down into four parts and to be honest with you to be honest with you I'm looking because I don't remember what those four parts are I I also picked that that one but I'm gonna pick a different one because okay so I'll read this while you I I do think sadness is the most interesting one of these because it was interesting because I thought it was gonna be the most boring one because I'm like Mm -hmm. yeah we get it like we always say sadness and kind I of. do use the word sadness all the time. So I didn't want that to be my favorite one, but she broke it down into four things that she thinks are important to know about sadness. Number one, sadness and depression are not the same thing. 
Um, number two, sadness and grief are not the same thing. She goes into detail. Get the book if you want to read it because I'm not going to read the whole book to you. Number three, there are positive aspects to sadness. And number four, there's a reason we love sad movies. Because a study revealed that sad movies are, there are highly significant positive correlation between sadness and enjoyment. I thought this was good too, because she, um, she also just makes a point to say like, grief, grief is awful. Like no one would wish grief on anyone, but sadness is important. It's an important emotion. We need it. Her quote, I forgot to read this one. To be human is to know sadness. Owning our sadness is courageous and a necessary step in finding our way back to ourselves and to each other. So I loved it because it kind of gave sadness a good light. Like you have to feel sadness. We do feel sadness often. So when I say I feel sad, I probably do feel sad. But you have, you know, feeling sad is being a human being and you're not always going to be happy and there's things to learn from being sad. And it brings us all together. Yeah. And it's good for if, if you are, you know, having this book is good because if you are experiencing grief or loneliness or despair or and hopelessness, you can read into those because it's yeah, helpful. They're different than yeah. just being sad. Yeah. So you want to be a sad girl, just be a sad girl, be a sad girl. Okay. Well, I guess I'll talk about like maybe a different one because that was also mine, but sorry, maybe we do. Maybe we're more similar than we thought we were. Like we were sure that we were going to pick different words. I know. I really did think. I think we picked four out of, we picked five out of six, the same ones. Ooh. Okay. Let's do hope. Let's do hopelessness. Um, Okay. I like that one. (laughs) So I think what's crazy about this one is when you say I'm hopeless, which I don't hear people say a lot. um, I do think that this one holds a lot of weight because I mean, she starts this this section off by saying we need hope like we need air to live without hope is to risk suffocating on hopelessness and despair, because if you are when if you're truly feeling that way, like that is a strong emotion. I don't think that I think lots of people feel it, um, but don't know how to communicate that. And so. Yeah, I mean, it's basically I'm sorry, I'm rereading because you took my one, but. I, so it says, while hope is on emotion, hopelessness and despair are emotions. Hopelessness arises out of combination of negative life events and negative thoughts about negative thought patterns, particularly self-blame and the perceived inability to change our circumstances. So this can come with, I think, you know, people who experience depression, people who are struggling with um, alcoholism or different diseases like that. I think hopelessness can be a feeling that they feel like nothing's going to change and there's no hope for change. And I think that's where. I think a good way to describe it is when you're in a real place of hopelessness, when you wake up and you don't, you can't think past that day. You can't think, okay, this won't matter tomorrow. It's going to get better. Or this won't matter next week. You're kind of stuck in the, this is so horrible now. And I don't know how I'm going to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So feel completely hopeless, stuck. There's no other word. And did she have any like suggestions for, um, um, I think it was, I think she said that kind of as an example, um, hope is of, 
function of struggle, we develop hope not during the easy or uncomfortable times, but through adversity and discomfort. Um, so you kind of just have to focus on, you have to focus on, I guess, cultivating more hope. Yeah. And like, and trying to get out of those negative thought patterns, which can be yeah, really hard. You have to have, you have to have skills so that small disappointments don't grow sure. into hopelessness and despair. Oh, so you have to then, have like your toolbox of things that yeah. you, you learn. And then, then, which is kind of what we do. Like, you know, we're sitting here telling people how we get ourselves out of a rut, like, which is kind of a nice way to say, like, when you do feel hopeless, mm-hmm. like, how do yeah. you get out of a rut? You like, you have like a toolbox where you have to remind yourself, this isn't going to matter in a week. This, this is going to get better. You are go. you need to give yourself a little bit of hope. Yeah. Um, if you are feeling that way please talk to somebody or seek guidance from a professional. I wish, we had, a, I wish no we had a name of somebody to reach out to because that's yeah. a real feeling. And you can always reach out to us if you feel like you mm-hmm. want to chat. Yeah. And I think part of the reason this book is so important is because if I know these the differences between all this vocabulary – and Grace also knows the difference, the, the differences between all this vocabulary. We can't talk today, guys. Um, then she can say, Jenny, I'm feeling envious. Jenny, I'm feeling hopeless. Jenny, I'm feeling overwhelmed. And it holds more weight when it's said than when we're just throwing things around willy-nilly. Mm-hmm. And that's why this is so important. And it'd be so cool if we were all on the same page with it. Because I think we would take each other more serious because the amount of times I think people walk around being like, oh, I'm just frustrated. Oh, I'm just like I have anxiety. Um, and the book does talk about anxiety, too. So, like, yeah, but it's like if we were all walking around and I asked someone a question, one of my friends saying, how are you? How are you feeling? And they said, well, I was in a conversation with my mom and I was expecting her to be Rod and fruit, Lord Farquaad, and she wasn't. She it, she wanted her office. to be a fantastic friend, and she was being a sad friend. And and, it, friend. and then that I would understand better than than her being like I don't know. It's just it's so interesting to me that we don't know these things. So it's really cool, and we're gonna finish knowledge is up. power, and knowledge we're gonna go power. through the other part of other half of the book mm-hmm. next week because we are excited to finish it and yeah. go over it with each other because this is our first book club review how fun mm-hmm. it is really fun and it's a good one i i love this and thank so you jenny's mom chrissy for sending it to me because it was the best surprise of my day which was like last week or two weeks ago but it was very sweet of you so cute. thank you yeah life-changing yeah. she's um She's, she's a, a giver of she's a giver of good books. She's a darling. And yeah, actually she she introduced me to this book as well. So thanks, mom. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. And we are learning so much. And we will meet you guys back here next Sunday with uh, part two. We hope you have a great week. Have a great Thank week, you. everybody. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Darling Girls podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. 
Also, you can keep up with us on Instagram at darlinggirlspod. See you next time.